Welcome to the Free Range Buffalo. Break free from the herd. On today's episode, this is part one of our incentivized animal series. What drives human decisions? And my partner in crime for this series, and hopefully for a while yet to come, my good friend Michael Morris. Good evening, Bryce. Well, how does the day find you? Well. <laughs> well, so this has been a, a long time coming for us. This is one of our, our, our first brainchilds that we've uh, batting back and forth. Has about been. Yeah, it has. And, it, and it's something that I think is a topic that gets bandied about or at least danced around quite a bit over, uh, over coffee tables and around, uh, around the dinner table about what's driving human decisions because uh, I think for a lot of people, you're saying, okay, I can't understand what this other person is saying. You know, and usually we talk about it you know, right and left of spectrum of politics whether, or in, in, in financial markets or, or, or whatever the, the forum is, trying to understand what the other person is doing. And I think this is a real opportunity for us to explicitly try to dive in to the motivations of what actually is driving people. Well, I think uh, it, it's an interesting subject because it is, uh, it's a little bit unknown. If we're willing to admit, we're not rational people. None of us are. However, there's a, a set of consistent parameters that we all make our decisions based on. And so I think we're going to look at a few of those today. Hopefully we're close to the mark. Yeah. Well, and even going into the, the title of this, this, this is where we, I, th- I think we kind of stumbled on to something about how we are, are framing it amongst ourselves is this incentivized animal. That's Sometimes we, we, we give ourselves a lot of credit, you know, as, as a species, as a people, as a society. Um, but I think sometimes you need to strip everything away and talk about us as uh, what are we? And if, and if you strip away the society, strip away the technology, I love the idea of, a, 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 of the incentivized animal because in a lot of ways, it's these incentives that we have as conscious beings you know, the only thing that separates us from the rest of the animal kingdom is our consciousness. But we're not that far removed. I mean, physically, we're still an animal. We're still, we, we still have all those physiological needs. And our consciousness, that's what's directing our evolutionary progress, right? So it's not, it's not pressure from, I mean, I mean, it doesn't divorce us necessarily from the, the pressures of the natural world. But the, the more advanced we get, the more divorced we are from the natural world, from, from those evolutionary pressures. But what we aren't divorced from is from the incentives that drive our behavior. And I think, in some fact, I think is driving our, our evolution, if not as our bio, biologically, at least sociologically. Well, I think ultimately the, the number one incentive for humans throughout history has been to survive. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then once that's somewhat been established is how to improve upon that survival. Right. Well, you know, we, um, I talk about it in, uh, in the vignettes and, and you know, I'll, I'll touch upon it here. One of the big um, formal ways of understanding 
just what you're saying is that hierarchy of needs. And as you're solving each level of your needs, you're going to progress up. And what, what is it that actually incentivizes uh, a person? Well, you know, it depends on where you work at on, on the hierarchy. I mean, if you're, if you're starving and you don't have a roof over your head, you're, you're going to be incentivized exclusively to solve those fundamental issues. I need to eat. Yeah, I mean, you would think so. And then you could also look at, um, well, fast forward to today's day and age. Mm-hmm. You have a homeless person who's drug addicted. They right. don't have a, a roof over their head. However, there's enough mechanisms whereby they could be safe, but their biggest overarching incentive is to chase that high. So, ah. you, so you have to look at where where that also breaks down. So that's, that's a really interesting uh, point because you can... Again, because of the way that people are, they can actually consciously themselves override their incentives, or maybe you're having a, having a completely different incentive outside of what you would consider normal. You can have that overridden with drugs and chemicals, where you're overriding the, the, the natural order of incentives, of the hierarchy of incentives. Or you can have that twisted and directed from an outside force. So, yes. you know, I think if... I always like to take one giant leap back and, 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 and take a look at it from a macro level before we start going down a lot of these different uh, potential rabbit holes. So if we're an incentive, incentivized animal, okay, what, what are the big, big items that are going to be incentive? We talked already about, you know, some of the hierarchical things, you know, food, water, you know, the, the, some of the overrides, drugs, okay, Roger that. But what, what about when you're, what about for those who are, you're comfortable, middle of the middle income, comfortable life, middle of the road. You know whether you're a Canadian, American, what, some Western world person. What are you? What are you being incentivized by? Because I don't think what I'm always curious about is those unconscious things or things that we're not really thinking about every day, but that actually still drive us forward on a more fundamental level. Well, that, it's interesting you bring that up. Uh, I think, especially in Western society, there is a level of comfortable enough mm, yeah, where yeah. your two and a half levels of Maslow's hierarchy right. are covered. Right. So uh, if, if you're half decent at anything, you should be able to achieve those uh, to yep. level two and a half. And I'm not sure if everybody is incentivized to push beyond that. Uh, if you have security, if you have food, if you have shelter, if you have esteem and you're able to and, have and, a mate. And, and you have you have a certain baseline of love and, and, and association. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, so maybe what happens with that is to get to the next level, there's, there's X more amount of work. Right. Now, the payoff is, is good, but a lot of people might not equate it to being worth the effort. And so I think to as you go up the chain of, of needs, mm. the level of effort at, is uh, it's almost like the law of uh, diminishing returns. Uh, even though it's oh. even though it's not, it's it's that the 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 amount of effort that you have to output it for what you perceive to be an advantage is exponentially higher than than going out and getting uh, food for the day or making sure you have a roof over your head. Then perhaps there's some sort of correlation between 
the satisfaction of your biologic necessities. Okay, so the functioning of your of your machine, of uh, function of your body, check, Roger that. Of your basic psychological requirements, you know, community and love, check, check. But it, as those biological requirements are going up the pyramid, so are your those the drives that like like really the pathological drives are, are going down, and then it becomes into a, something a little more abstract. Because I mean, I mean, the, when the last uh, level on on Maslow's is, is self actualization. Well, mm-hmm. one, not not everyone has a really good example, an external person who they think has been self actualized. Why is that even a positive? Well, and if if you look at it in that way, uh, it, it's kind of interesting. Once your physical needs are desired, how do you? incentivize humanity or society mm. to to move up that chain i think in throughout history it's been a, a spiritual pursuit which i believe self-actualization is so for a long time it was the job of religion right no matter where uh, where you were in the world yeah you had religion to sort of spur you on yet you had a leader of religion a prophet if you were well, so, to yeah, so to give uh, you a grander vision uh, yeah. to pull you towards. Now there was an incentive with that. I think the whole thing about incentivized animals, pathological or physical needs, having a home, having food, mm-hmm. uh, finding a mate, those are all uh, very compelling mm-hmm. on a very basic level. To get to the higher levels of of Maslow, you need someone to almost pull you along. Right, you, you need someone to say. This is the mountaintop. Come climb it. Right. Uh, there's very few people that will say, hey, there's a peak over there. I'm just going to go climb it when, they ha- when they're warm. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, because you're taking, what you're really talking about is taking another giant leap into some unknown, into some major discomfort, because what, you, what you're saying is, is what, even though you have your love relationships, and, you know, and, and, but you're, you're moving up, or you say, I, I do want to move up. I want to be the best possible version of myself. That is extraordinarily, well, uncomfortable and requires significant effort and probably some destruction of your current self in order for you to, to make the next level. But even if, so if you unwind that, so I like where you're, where you're going. So there's one version of yourself where you're, where you're, you're becoming a completely integrated person. That's that's the ideal, um, and, we, and we can have a discussion about who, who those are, both in historical context. I mean, you know, between the Buddha, Jesus, uh, you know, some of those great um, characters in, in in history, where you're saying uh, Gandhi, um, you know, these these men and women in the world in our history. Go, well, now that's a person uh, worthy. But at the same time, you know, in the Canadian, American, Western lifestyle where we're really are really comforted and you know marx may have said the religion is the opiate of the masses turns out opium is the opium of the masses <laughs> with the opium crisis but uh, but uh, but also i would say is uh opium is a religion of the masses is a religion of the masses but so is material comfort but it has, it has been that yes but there's the material comfort but don't i am always amazed about how Many people get then possessed by the the over acquisition of 
material wealth. Well, do you think that's a, a factor of of those those needs? And if you have these fulfilled, mm. um, they've been able to to. Would you agree that the higher levels are more of a spiritual pursuit, and they're they're almost they are inward reflecting? If you think about it, because mm. I'm not going to know what your very best is, right? Unless you reveal it to me. However, you're I could think you're the best. You might know in your heart that you haven't done the best, right? So I think at, at the higher levels, it becomes a more inward looking spiritual pursuit and when you look back through the religious uh parameters or yeah. religious filters through that say buddhism uh christianity those kind of things they do address those higher needs uh and now because we've been disconnected from religion mm-hmm. and science quote unquote uh, uh has taken over as the dogma mm-hmm. um they've also figured out materialism so materialism has become a pursuit in and of itself. And I think that's why people end up being unsatisfied when they pursue it. Uh, because eventually, at some point, what are you going to get out of it? You have to have a very nihilistic mm. point of view if all you're trying to achieve is a 250-foot yacht and houses everywhere and billions of dollars. Uh, because you, you're denying the fact that you will die. And, and you've actually capped yourself off at at a certain level of of the needs because i don't find that self-actualized no i from my worldview no uh i think that's a very i i like the way you're putting it because i think that's materialism of itself is in fact a corruption of the deep pathology for this drive you know beyond yourself you know and because it's materialism is, is, is taken it and how many how many songs are, are we going to hear about how you you, you can't Popping fill bottles. a hole yeah, yeah well <laughs> filling the hole with money or, or or filling the hole with drugs that seems to be a fairly common refrain that we are, are incapable of learning away from but that's interesting and maybe that's also why people who who live in in these comfortable lives that, that we do why they're so vulnerable to new age uh, religions where you have some new prophet, some new idea coming up. Um, I know, you know, during the, you know, the 60s and 70s when they were, uh, the West was first exposed to a lot of the yogic uh, experiences coming out of India with the uh, gurus and, and that whole, and it just really exploded and, and we're still feeling the effects. But even even uh, yogiism can't compete against materialism because as soon as the West got its hands on it, we just commercialized it, bastardized it, <laughs> and completely warped its its higher callings. So it's turned into a, a really fancy way to stretch, and you know, rather than and and some sort of um, pursuit of Lululemons. yeah, yeah, it, yeah sure. some other ultimate truth. It's a it's a fitness regime rather than a um, what it's originally intended was a, a spiritual experience. Right. Um, and I think that maybe has something to do with a fear within our culture of something that is not material, something that cannot be quantified, mm. something that's because as soon as you you are going something beyond, it can't be quantified. It that goes against our most fundamental principles of scientific advancement, 
And I think we're incapable of saying that you can have both ideas at the same time, that you can be spiritual and now this pursuit of something that, 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 that goes beyond reason and current understanding and it is the leap of faith versus something concrete. I mean, if it, if it can't be measured, if it can't be, uh, you know, go, go through the whole rigors of the five steps of the scientific method from hypothesis all the way to uh, result, can't, it doesn't exist. So it's interesting that we have this um, this duality, which, you know, I, I, I don't think we're the first, well, I know we're not the first people. <laughs> this, this is really one of those pathologies that, that really exists within our society. But I th- what that still comes to my mind, though, is, so we're still, everything I think you can still go down into incentives. And where we get confused it occurs to me is that when someone's behavior doesn't match what we would expect, it means we're not understanding how they're being, how, how they're being incentivized. Mm. But on that, I, I do want to take a little I bit think, of, I think sometimes uh, just quickly with that, I think sometimes people are acting on unconscious incentives. Uh, mm. So, so as an example, uh, say you like to, um, indulge in, in uh, recreational drugs uh, and as you do <laughs> i guess <laughs> uh there's there's some literature out there that says you're self-medicating or you're feeding a need that that you're you might not even be aware of right so there's a need maybe for security or for um comfort or something like that right but there's often times that that humans don't even know exactly what their their the reason for their behavior is, is such and so i think we're all incentivized to do things and i think when an incentive is clear you work towards it I, I, but i think we need to recognize also that sometimes the irrational behavior that we have is serving uh a need that we have even though it might be unconscious there is a certain incentive mm. that we have for it so if my incentive is comfort and I feel comfortable smoking a joint or having a beer or a glass of wine after work, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to do that. Now, it might take away from other certain things, but I haven't sat down with myself and allowed myself to think about my hierarchy where where I place this because my incentive is such that I want comfort, but I haven't recognized that, so it's, it's not conscious. So if we allow for that, mm. then some of those... Uh, irrational seemingly from the outside behaviors right. hmm. begin to yeah, make yeah, yeah, sense. Yeah. well see what that's actually really quite interesting now the one thing i would i read a book from uh dr peck he, he wrote the the road less traveled this was a book back in that i think late 80s early 90s so don't hold me to that but he actually had a really interesting um idea uh, I think it really rang true with me is that um, he, he found in his clinical practice as a, he was a psychologist, if I recall correctly, and he, his findings and his, his personal anecdotal experience was that those people who were struggling the most with addiction, whether it was alcohol or drugs or sex even, I mean, anyone who's really struggling with, with uh, addiction, but he, he focused mostly on, on alcohol and drugs, was that they were actually very spiritual people and they were in a pursuit of Eden, so alcohol being a good example, it reduces your inhibitions. So you're in a more uh, more of a state of what someone would be in Eden 
where where you're not conscious of yourself. You are just existing. Uh, and and, a lot, and some other drugs do this even way better than alcohol, where, where it is stripping of your ego or or, or your self awareness, your, your you know the the, the critical self assessment, and you feel oneness uh, with other people. So the, and, yeah, and I, I think, think that's a lot of the work in psychedelics right now. Yeah, exactly. So isn't that interesting that the that the drugs are actually providing a chemical bypass to get a window into self actualization before you without having to do all the hard work. <laughs> well, I, I I think that's that's where they fail. Um, if we're if we're talking about psychedelics or things mm. like that, a lot of the work is going into them, and I think I, I do think that there are some benefits probably to them. Oh. I, I think that like many things, is if you are guided through the process, mm. uh, instructed on how to break that down. So I, I've never done DMT, however, if you were to attempt that, mm. I think you need to have a guru. Oh yes, yeah. Well, well, you can't just go smoke it with your buddies on Saturday and be like, "Ha ha, you tripped out for fifteen minutes." <laughs> <laughs> sure, good story. However, it's it's uh, deducing the purpose of of what it could potentially do, and I'm not I'm not saying go, let's all go out and get gurus and and smoke DMT. What I am saying is that I think with those kind of things that bypass, you need someone to guide you through that process. Mm. Otherwise. It's a bit of a loss thing, and then and then that disconnect happens, right? Uh, because you're not you're accessing something, but you don't have the potential to work your way through it and fully understand those things. So what's interesting is is that over the course of a conversation, you know, we're we're circling around when you talk about the incentivized animal, the the, the topic of um, drugs and alcohol seems to be coming up quite a bit for us, um, but. But what I, I want to turn on, on our, as we're finishing up here, you had posited something in, in your vignette about pleasure versus pain. Yes. You know, and, and I would like you to, um, to re-articulate the, um, how much people are incentivized by pleasure versus pain because you even laid out a bit of a ratio there. Yeah, the, the ratio according to studies right. is two to one uh, and people have less aversion more twice as much they feel a loss more than they do a gain and so if we're looking at uh, incentives right the biggest incentive is to avoid pain right well that's kind of what uh, it fits into maslow's hierarchy right because if you look at it level one food Mm -hmm. i'm hungry i'm thirsty i'm starving right i need to alleviate that pain you bet so i'm going to go out and do that Level two, shelter, security, yeah. those kind of things. Those, yeah, maybe it's level two. But there's, it's, still, it's painful if I have to be outside right now yeah, yeah, without no, yeah. the proper clothing. Yeah. It's going to be cold. I'm yeah. going to experience pain. You bet. It's a lot pleasurable to be in here. However, as you move up the chain, it becomes less about pain. Because if you, if you self-actualize, mm-hmm. I don't believe you will, if you do not self-actualize, excuse me, you will not experience any pain until maybe your deathbed and when you're reflecting on your life and what could have been. Mm. However, that's not, a, that's not an immediate pain. So we're able to place aside those, those non-immediate pains for pleasure in the moment. And I think... Or, or at the very least, avoiding. Avoidance, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, and, so, and so, it, it so if I don't have to feel harder. the pain today, I, I, you know... And, that, and that's where all, all of that other stuff comes in. And that's why the, the pursuit of the higher levels of Maslow's hierarchy 
become more challenging mm. because it's more about a pursuit of uh, not pleasure in in the sense of hey that was a great party yeah it's more about the pleasure uh, of your spirit and your soul right having satisfaction that you've done the most you can do you've contributed to society and, and those kind of things however the the loss of version right bias that we have will will keep us down at, at the lower levels well it, so i i'm a huge political animal i i love in how i understand politics is all politics is it's a it's a nice word for understanding how do we organize ourselves so in a, in, in a certain sense almost everything is political that's why i see it not everyone agrees with me but that's that, that's my definition so when i see that and, and, and I, I really didn't wrap my head around this until you really put that ratio out there and you start really peeling back the layers of loss aversion versus uh, pleasure. So I take a look, you know, both in the American political system, but I'll, I'll talk about our own little backyard here in Alberta where we have a growing sentiment. I think I heard this, the poll, as accurate as they are, that there's 32% of Albertans want to separate from Confederation. All right. Well, here's the thing. That vote, just like they showed in Quebec back in the 90s, there is a fear, a loss aversion, a fear of pain. So you, you might be able to articulate, you know, this, this city in the hill, this, this, this glorious future that you would have, you know, like, like, like the American founding fathers. They were able to articulate this, this wonderful, beautiful, possible future for themselves. But that's not why they actually... No, I think that was marketing for other people. Yeah, yeah. well, it, it was some. Okay, so so possible future, but that's not a huge thing. There was a lot of hesitance in the revolution for the Americans before they picked up arms, and a lot of it was because of these, this ongoing escalation with the crown of England. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until the hands were forced and that they were actually losing more stuff by being, that the, Brits, the British at the time were actually taking more stuff from them because of this escalation of, of hostilities that the, the pain became worse than the vision of the yeah and, 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 and then so but but in our modern Canadian constructs the best examples Quebec as they're about to fire uh, as they were trying to separate came really close but me I remember the fear tactics that came in on uh, the uh, the, the Quebecois at the at the end about all the whole, most horrible things that could possibly happen. I mean, it was a huge fear campaign, and because and people not, might not be comfortable with it, but now that makes way more sense to me because you couldn't convince them about their glorious future being together in Canada. That wasn't going to get them. What was going to get them was fear of leaving. The fear, and and that's what happens a lot now in politics is this boogeyman phenomenon. Well, and 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 so yeah, you, but flash forward to where it worked it was in Brexit. They thought the fear of leaving Europe was going to be the worst. But they were able to tack on the fear of remaining because of not having control of their borders and, and, and being subsumed over by Brussels. And it was actually fear of staying, not, not, not the um, pleasure of being quintessentially British. And I think that's why the Brexit so turned into such a horror show, really, because each one's not playing to a, a positive vision. They're both saying, well, your future's horrible and your future's horrible. And but now that makes more sense. If, if, if you get double the impact on people's incentivizing for loss aversion versus pleasure seeking. Huh. Well, well that's, a, that's an interesting example in the sense of introducing Brexit introduced a lot of uncertainty. 
Mm, and I would say yeah. that another thing that humans value is certainty or perceived certainty over uncertainty. Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of people don't become entrepreneurs. That's why a lot of people don't take this necessarily the same amount of risk that others might is because they are unwilling to embrace that uncertainty. And so with Brexit, it was, mm-hmm. it's a really interesting thing. If you look at it through those two lenses, yeah. people were more afraid of, of what was created for fear-wise mm-hmm. versus the certainty of what they knew. So they chose the lesser of two evils, I guess, in that regard, which is often what happens. Yeah, you bet. Well, on that, you know, I, th- I think it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a... Um, I'd like to kind of encapsulate some of the things that we, we have gone over. I mean, it's wildly interesting to me, but the, the human animal being incentivized through a escalating series, first of a biological need, and then coming into more of self-drive and, and trying to determine your, your best future, that, that, that kind of fits with you know, the, the psychological tiering of, of, of need and of incentives, whether it's social acceptance, which, which drives a whole bunch of stuff, and we'll get into that. And then also the pursuit of pleasure and also the avoidance of pain. Um, and how that can fit both in you know, our financial lives and I think even to our political lives, and I, frankly, I would argue into our family lives, almost every, every aspect. If you can pull apart the layers and ask yourself one question when you're talking with someone is how are they being incentivized? And if you have the patience to listen to them, they will reveal it. And if you're willing to understand how someone else is being incentivized, they can give you a window into, into some real understanding and actually making some real connections with another person. That's a very good point. And I believe that the pleasure and pain is different for each person as well. So, so listening, and on that from all of us here at the free range buffalo roam free <laughs>